The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Good morning, Springs Church. It's good to be here with you this morning. I want to welcome you in the name of Jesus Christ. And I want to thank you so much for joining us for worship today. And I'd actually like to invite you uh, to worship with us this coming Wednesday, uh, Wednesday at 6.30 p.m. at our brand new property. Uh, We've got an all-church cookout, and no, the building's not ready yet. It's not ready yet. But we'll be outside, uh, and we will have hot dogs and uh, water and chips. If you want to bring a side and a dessert, uh, bring a lawn chair for sure. Uh, It'll be a really great time. It's up at our new location, which is 21477 Northwestern Avenue. That is this Wednesday at 6.30. So we would uh, love to see you out there this week. I think it's going to be a really good time uh, to break in our new location together. Um, And I also want to quick offer an invite to the college students. Uh, There's a lunch happening immediately after service uh, just down the street at Bradley Square. Uh, If you want more details about that, you can talk to Paul Crawford. Wave for us, Paul. Yes, Paul and Alyssa is right next to him. And uh, there'll be a college lunch over there, so uh, they would love to, to kick things off with you this week right after, right after service. Uh, and this morning, I'm happy to continue in our You Are What You Love series with you all, and we're going to do that in the epistle of 1 John this morning. Uh, so if you want to turn over in your Bibles, we are in 1 John chapter 1, verses 5 through 10 today. So let's begin together in verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him there is no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and do not live out the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar, and His word is not in us. Let's pray together, church. Lord, we come before you today, and we bow before your throne, and we lift up the name of Jesus Christ. God, you are exalted above all other names, Lord, and we uh, gather underneath the banner of that name, and we just ask for your spirit to dwell among us. God, we ask for Uh, This time of worship to be a time that shapes us and points and directs our desires toward you and teaches us to love like you. God, and I ask for the gift of preaching this morning and that your gospel truth would shine through, that we would walk in your light. And it's in the powerful and holy and beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. 
For three summers, speaking of college, I uh, helped pay for my college by traveling around making a fool of myself. Not really. I mean, I was in Unbound. I was in a, a traveling comedy group at Oklahoma Christian, and uh, we got to actually do some cool things. We got to go around to church camps around the region and to perform our hour-long original comedy show. Um, but we also got to communicate Christian truths to elementary, middle, high school kids, I think in hopefully a memorable way at times. Uh, but I remember one specific show from my first summer that kind of stands out called Camp Joshua. Um, and Camp Joshua is in the eastern part of the state. It's actually where Lara grew up going to camp. And so she was there that my first summer in Unbound, and her parents were there. And so I wanted to do well. But that's, I don't remember that show because they were there or because of what we performed. I actually remember that show because of what happened leading up to it. Um, so it was... Later in the week at Camp Joshua, it was kind of that, you know, that time in the week where things start to get a little more serious, a little more heavy, kind of takes on a stronger come-to-Jesus kind of flavor. And I remember they were celebrating the Passover meal, kind of an Oklahoma church camp brand Jewish Passover meal. And they had included a time of confession, this you know, small moment where uh, kids could kind of open, open up about what was going on in their lives, anything they were struggling with or wanted to talk about. And I don't think they were prepared for the, the floodgates of confession that opened up that night. Uh, that kid after kid after kid, confession after confession after confession began to just pour out from the depths of their souls, all of these sins and struggles and, you know, just the whole gamut from, from high schoolers struggling with, with sexual sin or addiction to all the way to a, a little elementary school boy who admitted to cheating on a math test. It was just all over the map. And I remember sitting there with my unbound teammates, just kind of our jaws agape, uh, you know, because we were just privy to this very personal, intense family moment at the camp. And we're also wondering, how in the world are we going to get up and tell jokes after this? <laughs> you know, how in the world am I going to put on my bedsheet toga and sing pop songs with the lyrics changed to be about Abraham after this moment. But as it turned out, um, I think sometimes what people need in a moment like that is exactly comic relief. And it turned out to be a very meaningful night and a meaningful show. I remember, you know, mascara-stained, puffy-eyed faces laughing heartily and it being a, a wonderful experience for us all. But, but I tell that story because it's a marker in my mind of, of the rawness of confession. Confession is this, this deeply vulnerable, intense moment, but it's also a vital, vital Christian practice. And it's a Christian practice that I think our tribe... Uh, our tradition has, has at times neglected to our own detriment. Um, that, you know, in fact, as Protestant evangelicals, sort of, we, we do confession differently than, than Catholics or Orthodox, and, and we kind of do it in a more ad hoc, a little bit at your leisure sort of way, if we do it at all, if we're being honest. 
And so I do want to just say this morning that if you don't have a connections group, as Steve was talking about, or a spouse, or a close friend, or a group of close friends that you can talk and confess, you know, specific privately to, confess specific sins to, then I hope you'll talk to us, and I hope we can get you plugged in somewhere, because that, that is a deeply vital part of, of the Christian faith and practice. Uh, but this morning, wherein you are what you love. And, and we're specifically going to talk more this morning about confession in the context of corporate worship. About, you know, if we're human beings and we're not just thinkers, we're lovers who are directed by our desires and wants and longings, then how does confession and assurance as an act of worship, how does that shape us and how does that direct us toward God and His kingdom? And so we're going to do that this morning in 1 John chapter 1 again. Let's move to, to verse 8. I just want to read verses 8 through 10 again. It says, If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make him out to be a liar, and his word is not in us. So this little passage is very characteristic of John. You, you can see already this strong dualism, this strong kind of polarity between truth and falsehood. That's very characteristic of John's gospel and the epistles as well. And so you can see that truth in this passage is contingent upon acknowledging the state of our sinfulness. It, it's dependent upon acknowledging sin and, and the impediment that it is to our relationship with God. And so we can kind of infer that John is addressing some opponents in this letter uh, in a community who uh, apparently uh, were claiming to walk in the light. You know, who, were, who claimed to have a strong relationship with God, and yet they, they were not acknowledging the sin in their lives. They were not acknowledging it as at least an impediment to their relationship with God. And so, you know, John says this is false, this is deceptive, we're deceiving ourselves, and actually we're making God out to be a liar. And so I think it's interesting, John addressing a very specific time and place and pastoral situation, but how the echoes resonate in our own culture today. You know, that, that we also inhabit this, this culture in our society and even in our churches where, uh, you know, we really don't want to grapple with the gravity of sin. You know, we, we don't want to, we want to downplay kind of the weight of it. And John says, you know, if we claim to be without sin, that's deception. And, and it's deception in that it amounts to a, a rejection of reality. Um, I pulled kind of a sophomoric prank on my friend Colin in high school once. Uh, we were driving, it was probably a little bit before dusk, and we were in a neighborhood, and we saw off to the side there was this woman uh, sitting on her stoop out front of her house smoking a cigarette. And uh, Colin drew attention to her, and I, I looked over, and in this moment, I, I don't know why, but I decided, you know what, I'm going to try and convince him that I can't see her. It was Sioux Falls, South Dakota. We had nothing to do, so <laughs> don't judge. 
And so I'm, I'm like, um, I, I, don't see, I don't see anybody. What, what are you talking about, man? And I don't know if I, if I caught him on like a gullible evening or if he'd been watching a lot of horror movies lately or something, but he bought it. And so we drive past, and I turn the car around, and we go back up, and he kind of gestures again, and I'm like, got nothing. Nothing, man. And, you know, it's, it's not a high school prank until you take it a little bit too far. And, uh, and so we turn around again and headed down. And, and at this point, you know, Colin's getting pretty exasperated. Like, he's feeling very desperate. Like, maybe his sanity depends on this moment. Like, he's an hour into an M. Night Shyamalan movie or something. And so finally I realized, you know what, I can't take this any further. I, I, and so I, I give it up. I'm like, I, I see her and we have a good laugh about it. I'm pretty sure I remember a laugh. <laughs> and, but I, I tell that because, you know, that story is emblematic of that kind of exasperation we feel when someone won't acknowledge reality. You know, that, that kind of desperate feeling when, when someone won't name what is true. You know, we have this, this deep desire to do that, to call out injustice, to name what is true, what is reality. And yet, we don't want to turn that truth-telling back on ourselves, do we? Our default disposition is not to, to really enjoy shining a white-hot light on our own flaws and weaknesses and sins. You know, we, we, sin is this person sitting on the front stoop smoking a cigarette that we, we'd rather downplay and pretend wasn't there. And so I think what you're going to find this morning is that there's a tension. There's a tension in that confession is what we need, not what we want. Confession is both what we need, but also not what we want. It is this uncomfortable, vulnerable thing that we'd rather kind of repress or avoid. And yet, it is also one of the deepest desires of our hearts. To be laid bare, to be fully known and truly seen and yet fully loved in the midst of our sin. You know, those of you uh, who've been in class this morning or the past few weeks know what I'm talking about. Uh, Andy Harbert's been leading a class called This Is Us, uh, where some of you have been sharing your stories and giving your testimonies in, in that classroom setting. And I know that's a vulnerable thing to, to get up and, and say, hey, this is, this is me, this is the good, the bad, the ugly, what's happened to me, what I've done, where I've been, who I've been, who I am. And that's a vulnerable, vulnerable place to be. You know, you, you get up and you kind of think, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do this. And yet, in, in your little mustard seed heart, you know that you do need to do this. And, and even maybe want to do this. That, that confession is a, a deep desire within all of our broken hearts. It's what we need, but it's not always what we want. And so this brings us back to you are what you love. Because I think in the context of humans as not just thinkers, but as lovers um, driven by our deepest desires, we can say that, that sin in this context oftentimes means this. It means that we do not love what we should. We do not love what we should. We, we don't 
want confession. We want to continue in our sin. We, we don't want to have to confront those things. We want to remain on the throne of our lives. This is a truth about us. We don't always love what we should. But that's where confession comes in. Confession is that rhythm built into Christian worship where we tell the truth about ourselves. It's that rhythm built into the gospel where, where we acknowledge that we don't always love what we should, that we are broken, sinful people with disordered loves. And, and that even though we don't always love what we should, we do want to love what we should, right? We're kind of caught in that, that tension of Paul in Romans 7 again, aren't we? In Romans 7, he says, I find this law at work, although I want to do good, evil's right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. So confession is where we acknowledge that we do not love what we should. And yet many of us, if you're like me, uh, have, have grown up in churches that didn't include this in the part of, of corporate worship rhythm, right? Uh, many of us uh, have grown up where that wasn't really a part of things. So I've actually enjoyed, over the last few years, uh, from time to time, implementing this moment like we had earlier this morning, where we together, corporately, confess that we are sinful, that we have not loved our neighbors as ourselves, that we've left things undone and done things that we shouldn't have. And there are a couple narratives that I, I think this is actually really counterformative against. And there's a reason that I think that we, we should do this and that it's a beneficial, formative thing for us. And, and so I just want to focus on two of those narratives that, that we kind of see. And two of those messages, one of them is this. We have a tendency toward assurance without confession. We have a tendency toward assurance without confession. So we, most of us in our society and, and even in our churches, again, we kind of want this, you know, encouragement without reproach. You know, we don't want negative energy. We don't want bad vibes. You know, we, we don't want to talk about our own complicity or guilt or responsibility. You know, even though we do as a society kind of have this obsession with a, a pseudo-confessional, you know, juicy gossip kind of thing. But we don't want confession that costs something for us. You know, we, we prefer this kind of believe-in-yourself positivity, this self-assurance kind of mentality. And, and actually, I think uh, this plays into the way that we worship sometimes. If you think about some trends in, in modern Christian worship, uh, you know, everything needs to be kind of this high-energy, fun, um, uncomplicated, uplifting experience. We want assurance, but we don't want the confession. And then on the other hand, there is also this push within society at times for the inverse, for confession without assurance. Uh, so I think we actually see this uh, particularly in, in consumerism and, and in marketing. 
You know, marketers know how to kind of play on this, this deep knowledge of reality that we have, that we are broken, that we are inadequate, and that, you know, that we don't have it all together. We're not perfect. And so marketers know how to play to this. Well, I, I'm not beautiful enough. I'm not cool enough. Or my family's not perfect enough kind of knowledge. And so it elicits this confession from us, you know, this deep knowledge of our brokenness, but then offers nothing. Or offers something fleeting. It offers not, not God's goodness, but goods and services. So, so the remedy is not, is not pardon or assurance of forgiveness, but it's just consumption. So we've got assurance without confession. We've got confession without assurance. And these are narratives that shape us internally, aren't they? They they shape our wants and longings and desires and loves. And yet Christian worship calls us to both. Christian worship calls us to confession and assurance. Because one is not good without the other. You know, that we confess in Christian worship, we remind ourselves and own up to this fundamental fracture within us and within the world. We come face to face with our disordered loves as we confess, but we never leave it there. We never leave it there. Confession doesn't leave us in despair because it's always followed by assurance. It's always followed by the reassurance of of absolution, of forgiveness and salvation. You may have noticed earlier uh, that when we paused to to confess our sins, that that Dara also offered this assurance to us. She said, May Almighty God, who sent His Son into the world to save sinners, bring us His pardon and peace now and forever. Amen. Confession and assurance reminds us of the full gospel picture. It reminds us of just how truly, deeply flawed and sinful we are. And yet, just how divinely and miraculously forgiven and saved we remain. Assurance without confession is a dishonest self-sufficiency. Confession without assurance is despair. But Christian worship pushes back on that with both. Reminding us that we are truly sinful but deeply saved. We uh, stopped our text this morning in 1 John at at the very end of chapter 1. But I want to just push on two more verses uh, to kind of finish this thought here. So I want to push on to verses 1 and 2 of chapter 2. Let me start in chapter 1, verse 8 again, though. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we have not sinned, we make Him out to be a liar and His word is not in us. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin, but if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one, he is the atoning sacrifice for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins 
of the whole world. Church, sin's confession unveils Christ's intercession. The gospel doesn't leave us trapped in despair and it doesn't consign us to self-sufficiency. Confession points us. It is there to point us to the salvation of Jesus Christ. That is the whole point of Christian worship. It's to tune our hearts to sing His praise, to, to be reminded of just how deeply flawed we are, but how greatly rescued we have been. Uh, one writer puts it this way, Not the man who is lost, but the man who is saved can understand that he is a sinner. Not the man who is lost, but the man who is saved can understand that he is a sinner. That's kind of an interesting reversal of logic, isn't it? Because we usually you know, think in terms of conviction of sin and then moving to salvation. And, and indeed, that's how we've experienced it. But it, it's actually the person I think we find who has crossed over to that other side that can truly see the expanse of the abyss. It's that person who has actually been saved, who really realizes the depth of the sin, the depth of the danger that they were in, and therefore the true miracle of salvation. And that's, that's what confession and assurance reveals. It reveals that we are deeply flawed but beautifully loved. Uh, Fleming Rutledge says it like this. We cannot talk about sin for very long without being drawn into doxology, praise. Were it not for the mercy of God surrounding us, we would have no perspective from which to view sin for we would be entirely subject to it. That is the reason for affirming that wherever sin is unmasked and confessed, God's redemptive power is already present and acting. The Spirit of God has prodded you and guided you and has brought you to this place. And it is that Spirit within you that longs, that groans for a confession. That groans to be truly seen and yet fully loved. That is the Spirit of God within you that, that longs to know this, this wonder-working power of the blood of Jesus Christ, this victory and grace achieved on the cross and confirmed in the resurrection. That is our heart's deepest desire, church. And if you, if you long for a confession, if you'd like to come forward, we want, we want to invite you to do that, to, to talk with us, to, to bring healing. And as we stand and sing together, I, I ask that you do that. Let's praise him together, church.